Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Well, uh, here's what I've concluded this morning. All of you are getting gold stars this morning. That's what I've concluded. Let's just get straight to the chase. Uh, All of you, if you are here, if you are watching online, if you're watching this message back Wednesday on a bus or a train into the city, it still counts the same. All of you are getting gold stars because after... Being away for six weeks, five Sundays, here's what I've discovered. It's really hard to be you. <laughs> and here's what I mean by this. If you're here and it's, it's really hard to be here and it's really hard to be focused on the things of God when you don't get paid for it. <laughs> and... That's why you deserve a gold star, because uh, there is an aspect where there is, it's taken effort this morning to get up. It's taken effort to get out of bed. It's taken effort to focus on the things of God. And uh, after spending six weeks outside of church land, uh, I've kind of discovered the wrestles that you go through. Uh, We've... We've, we've had one or two moments, right, where we've sat and we're up early and we've had breakfast and we've asked that question, shall we go to church or not? We were a block away from the Crystal Cathedral. What was the Crystal Cathedral? We were 10 minutes away from Bobby Shuler. One of my heroes is doing a great job over there. And our answer was, nah. <laughs> so I, look, I, just, I, felt, I felt I deserved a little bit, an opportunity just to be out there in non-church land. Uh, but I realized it's hard to be you. It's hard to be here. Stewarding your soul takes effort. Now... Uh, for all the elders in the room, and for any of you that have got a bit of muscle memory, uh, this is my second time back from long service leave, and I just want to declare up front to our eldership that Sam is totally okay. If, if you recall, last time that I came back from long service leave, uh, that was a watershed moment in my ministry and probably in this church, because it was here that I said last time that I came back from long service leave that I was just burnt out and I was wrecked and I was spiritually dry. I had shared with the church that, if you're a bit newer with us, I'd shared with the church that uh, the whole time on the three months of that long service leave, uh, that I hadn't picked up my Bible once. I thought it would be a good idea to just take a break from the Bible. Uh, and as a result, I was just done. And I'm going to say, it was, a, it was a great Sunday, because I've never had more text messages from the church that Sunday. And uh, they ranged from, over on one side of things, how dare he... I think one of the best comments that I heard from admitting that to the church was, yeah, but we pay him to be spiritual. (laughs) To the other end of the spectrum, that there was message after message after message from people that had said, hey, thank you so much for sharing that. That's exactly how I felt today. And I was sitting in those chairs feeling alone. And I'm glad to know I wasn't the only one. Um, Being spiritually dry is something that happens to all of us, including pastors, because we're human. (laughs) And we can get that way because it takes effort. Now, I realize looking back on that period of time in my life, and why maybe things are a little bit different this time around, is that it wasn't so much that I just hadn't read my Bible. The issue was that I hadn't developed a whole network of spiritual tributaries, to use that word, 
of fresh streams of life, of God's life into my life. Part of the reason it was such an issue that I hadn't read my Bible is that there were no other exercises in my life at that point in time. Prayer, time alone with God, reflection. I hadn't developed these tributaries of of God's life into my life because I'm sure you found over the years, like this is not a message where you must read your Bible. The Bible alone won't develop the kind of life that God promises to you. It is a, a, a river network, a tributary of God's life that runs into you. I hadn't developed those, and that's what we want to talk about this morning. You know, there's um, this amazing stat, there's this amazing river. It's called the Amazon. Anyone heard of the Amazon? And reading up about the Amazon, you know, the Amazon is fed by over 1,100 different river networks running into it. And you could, at at its widest point, it's 40 kilometers wide at its widest point in the thickest of rains. And you can imagine just the power and the tonnage and the force that must uh, come forth at the river mouth of the Amazon into the emotion. But when you look at a picture of it, it, it is fed by all of these different tributaries. Have you found this, Christians, that we limit how many streams of God's life flow into us. Normally, it's reduced down to, uh, I, I go to church, uh, I pray, and I give. I kind of, I do the big three, and that should be enough. <laughs> I want to tell you this morning that God wants for you a, a life that surges forward like the Amazon surges into the circumstances of your life, surges into these moments when you interface with the world with um, joy and love and grace and strength and poise. God wants that for you, but the trick to it is understanding that we, look, we all want to encounter God, right? If you're in this room, I know that you want to encounter God. You're not eating your smashed avocado on toast across the road. If you are here, you are a captive audience. If you're watching, you're a captive audience. If you're here, it's safe to assume that you want to encounter God. And yet, don't we find, guys, that we get distracted. And the world is constantly drying us up. Think for a moment. Think about on your last 24 hours. Think back on your last week, you know, dropping the kids off to school, getting to work, getting the schedule done, dealing with the boss, uh, working family situations out, um, sorting houses out, sorting your life out, trying to set your year up, getting your plans all sorted, right? It's just, it's exhausting. And like I've, dis- I've found outside of church land, there's just so many cool distractions as well. <laughs> Life's fun out there. <laughs> But ultimately, it dries us up. And so, are there fresh streams of life for your soul? That's what we'll look at over the next five weeks. And we want to talk about that, how to feed your life upstream. How to feed your life upstream. And we're going to borrow from some themes from a guy called Richard Foster, from a classic that he wrote years ago called Streams of Living Water. Uh, Foster takes this book and he researches thousands of years of forgotten tributaries of the Christian life, streams of fresh life, practices, disciplines, experiments in the Christian life that fuel the Christian life upstream. They're things like the prayer-filled life and the distinctive or the holy life, the spirit-empowered life, 
the compassionate life, the Bible-centered life, and the missional-centered life. We'll explain what all of those means, but can you see how that, that's a different arsenal in our spiritual growth toolkit, isn't it? All of these things that I want to t- say to you up front, these are, you don't have to do any of this, by the way. You don't, have to do, you don't have to do any of this. But hopefully you can take the examples from this pastor a few years ago of what can happen to you if you choose not to engage in these sorts of things. These are things to experiment with, to um, play with, to enjoy, to muck around with. <laughs> and... There are two ways to discover this life that God has for you. There's the easy way and the hard way. Um, The hard way is just keep running your rhythms of life the way that you normally do without the streams of God. Try that for the year. Uh, that's, that's, um, that's, That's the hard way to do things. The easy way to do things is the easy hard way to do things. It's to invest the effort now into developing the things of God. And you will see here now a biblical example of the hard way to do it in a guy called Elijah. Elijah was kind of like a, a pastor type figure that had burnt himself out, so biblical. <laughs> Happens to the best of us. And so we, we see Elijah is this biblical character that has had a moment that is almost of Hollywood-esque proportions. I'm kind of disappointed at Universal Studios that there wasn't an Elijah exhibit, right? Because uh, it was of Hollywood proportions. Elijah's gone up against 400 and something prophets of Baal. They've had a big argument. It's kind of like a Middle Eastern Western standoff, if that makes sense. You know, can we put it that way? A Middle Eastern Western standoff. It was like guns at 40 paces with each other, and they're saying, my God's bigger than your God, and he's saying, no, my God's bigger than your God, and so he calls down fire on this altar in order to prove that his God is the God of all gods, and these 400 prophets all bow down, and then ultimately, because he wins the fight, they get taken down into the valley and slaughtered. Told you it was of biblical proportions. Yeah, no kids in the room? No. MA15 plus version. So you would think after that, Elijah is absolutely brimming, he's pumped, I'm kind of thinking Rocky style, like he's a bit beaten up, but he's fist pumping, you think he would like, be like that, and yet we see that Elijah, if you know the story, runs for his life from the desert, out into the desert, he's being chased by Jezebel, and he runs out into the desert, and he's absolutely terrified, and he runs, and he runs, and he runs, until he's absolutely burnt out, and he's lying underneath the tree. And this is what he says. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. See how real this is? Side note, this may be the only message that you need to hear this morning if you're in that place. Of feeling depressed, feeling down, feeling exhausted, is entirely biblical. Human. Deeper than that, more worrying for him, he was suicidal. I've I've had enough, Lord. Haven't we felt like that every once in a while in our life? And yet we sit in the chairs and we go, oh, I hope the pastor doesn't find out. (laughs) I hope the person next to me, you know, that gave me the nice smile during mingle time, just looks like they've got all their life together and they're so chipper. I, I hope they don't pick up that I am just done. 
The other side note, look at the beautiful way that the Lord ministers to Elijah. And all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And the angel gets him food. And I always like to say, you know what the angel got him? Angel cake. Dad joke, number 48. <laughs> Here's the other one this morning that maybe you just need to get. Maybe the most spiritual thing. Forget praying and fasting and disciplines and spirit-filled life and contemplative life and all that we'll talk about this morning. Maybe the most spiritual thing that you can do is just have a sleep and a snack. Someone says to you, well, what are, how's, your, how's your spiritual life gone this morning? Just say to them, I had a sleep and a snack. Sleep in a snack. And then we go out and we see now what we're talking about in Foster's first discipline, the discipline of, of contemplative prayer. Won't look like prayer. Won't look anything like prayer when we see what happens now, but it's the, it's the discipline of contemplative prayer, the, the act by which the soul merely gazes upon a God that loves it. And so Elijah runs out it says now once he's restored what's the first thing he does then after that he then runs out for 40 days and 40 nights so the snack really worked must have been something in the cake high protein and he goes all the way out to Mount Horeb and what's so significant about Horeb if you're not too sure this weird name he goes straight out to Mount Horeb straight out to this place 40 days 40 nights in order to get to this place like why not just pray to God under a tree Horeb for them is where Moses received the Ten Commandments Horeb was the place where Elijah believed God to be. He says, if I've got all of this energy, I'm going to expend it all to put myself where God is. And he gets out there to Horeb. And this is what God does. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, other tip class. Uh, if the Lord asks you a question, it's generally not for his benefit. Kind of saying, starting to say, have a, have a think in this space about how it is that you've gotten yourself here. And so Elijah begins to explain to God exactly what's happened. He's, he gives him the whole round down as if God hasn't seen it. I love that. It's beautiful. <laughs> and then the Lord says now, what's the first thing he does? He doesn't give him a pep talk. He doesn't zap him. He doesn't give him some goosebumpy experience. He doesn't kind of start mysteriously playing worship music on the wind. He says, now go stand outside on the mountain before the Lord. In other words, go out into space and just wait. And then he says, now there was a great wind so strong that it was splitting the mountains and breaking the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, and I've chosen the new revised standard version here. That's the paraphrase or the, the translation of the scriptures. I've chosen this because it has the best way of explaining what the Hebrew, original Hebrew was in this scripture here, and it's the most profound statement. It says, and after the fire, there was the sound of sheer silence. Isn't that an oxymoron? Is that what we call it? Is that an oxymoron? Yeah. That makes no sense. The sound of silence. The sound of silence. Please don't miss this. Something happens in silence.
Something powerful happens in silence. I mean, Elijah emerges out of this and he's utterly transformed. His perspective sorted, he's energized, he's full of life, he comes out of his self-pity and he's a great gift of power and change to the rest of the world. What is with that? There is power and productivity in silence. We kind of forget that in our world that is so full of distraction and has so much marketing and so many messages and so many things happening towards us that we forget that there is power and productivity productivity in silence. And here's what I think it is. Contemplative prayer. That's the nature of what Elijah was doing here. It doesn't look like it's contemplative prayer, but God says, just go out and wait for me to come. Contemplative prayer is our intentional effort to be present with God beyond words. Yeah, there's something in the silence, yes, but it's about the waiting and the listening. Um, question, if you look back on your prayer life, how, how would you describe the, the posture of how you pray? By the way, you don't have to be an expert at it. Maybe you're not even a Christian this morning and you still pray. You're allowed to pray, by the way, if you're not a Christian. How, how, do, how do you talk to God when you look back on how or what your prayers have been over the last week or two weeks or three weeks or six weeks? And I can, can I suggest to you, maybe I can read your mind, if you're anything like me, most of your prayers were asking. Anyone brave enough to say that most of their prayers were asking instead of listening? I see that nod, I see that nod, I see that nod. <laughs> Why is that? There's something to be discovered in the power of the sound of silence. And I actually think this is the hardest type of prayer. Have you ever noticed this? Why is silent prayer so difficult? Have you found that? Uh, I find it incredibly difficult to just sit in the presence of God. I find it incredibly difficult because I'm actually a recovering doer. I, I'm an achiever. My self-significance is uh, based on how much I do. Are you one of these people? Are you with me, the recovering doers in the room? Like you're the sort of person that really likes to keep your tick lists, those types of people. We've got any of those there that do that. And you are so obsessed with keeping your tick list that do you ever do this? That when you think of a task that wasn't on your tick list, you actually write it back on your list so you can tick it off. Amen. Right? That's how bad I was. And I think for those types of people, it's so difficult to sit in the presence of God in silence because we feel this tension between action and stillness. We just struggle to be still, particularly in a society that tells us that we should all be, always be doing stuff. But I think the other tension for us is this, that, and then maybe this is true for many of you, and this is where it does get really tough, and I don't blame you. But sometimes prayer is so difficult when we've, been, and dare I say the words, and this is how it feels from my own perspective, we've been the victims of unanswered prayer. Isn't that how it feels? Why didn't you answer this, Lord? And if you didn't answer it back then, then why the heck should I sit with you in silence now when you're going to do nothing again? And so we wrestle with the difficulty of prayer, and yet what I want to hold before us this morning is that there's still something to be found, there's still something wonderful to be found 
in setting ourselves up in this tributary of contemplative prayer because contemplative prayer, for those who are constantly asking, shifts our focus from seeking specific answers to experience the presence of God himself and reminding us maybe, just maybe, that he's even with us in the waiting. So how do we do this? Um, Two practices we've talked a lot about as a church, silence and solitude, solitude and silence, solitude and silence. Solitude is getting away from people and things. Silence is getting away from inner and outer voices. So if you don't know what to do, these are the two things that you can do, solitude and silence. Solitude, the discipline of getting away from people and things. Look at Elijah, he's afraid and he runs for his life and he comes to Beersheba in Judah He leaves his servant there and he went a day's journey into the desert. Elijah runs into the desert by himself, which is a kind of crazy thing to do. But what is so significant about the desert? In the Old Testament, and you see it right throughout the scriptures, the desert was the place where God often was. And you see this in the life of Jesus throughout his ministry, the lonely places. Uh, We see the temptation of Christ in Matthew chapter four, where Jesus goes out where? Into the desert. And who does he encounter there? The devil, but also the Lord. And Luke 5, 16, great multitudes gather to hear and be healed with their infirmities, but Jesus withdrew to the wilderness. What's the wilderness over in that part of the world? It was desert. Trust me, I've been there. There's nothing growing there. He went to the desert. Mark chapter one, very early in the morning, while it was dark, Jesus left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Question, do you have a desert place in your life? Do you have a place where you you go and God is there? To which some of you are saying, Sam, have you seen my schedule? (laughs) Do you know what I've got on this week? Do you know what I've got to deal with? Uh, I would say to you, if if you are time poor, then then do what that James Clear talks about in uh, Atomic Habits. Is that the guy that wrote that one? Yeah, you've got a habit stack. I habit stack, right? So if you are the achiever, stack the habits. There's no rule that says that uh, whatever you do within your context has to be totally separated for, for, for God. As many of you know, I undertake a very deep spiritual practice on almost a weekly basis. It's called golf. <laughs> and the truth is, some of you, you call it by its spiritual name, it's called prayer walking. At least that's what I tell Kristen. <laughs> I'm going for a prayer walk. <laughs> but in all seriousness, that is my desert place. It doesn't have to look like a desert. But certainly I do a lot of praying when I hook one left into the dam off the first hole at North Ride. But it's the place where I can look at the greenery and I can be away from things and I can enjoy and I can just waste time with God. That's a side note. Write that one down. Say, Sam gave me a prescription just to waste time with God. That in and of itself is a worthy journey. Do you have a desert place? But then silence. Silence is the discipline of getting away from inner and outer noise. And by the way, solitude's the easy one. It's easy to go find a golf course somewhere or whatever your desert place is. This is the tricky one. And it's really quite profound. And I think it's why you and I hate silence so much. When I've talked about it, I know this from talking around connection group and our community life together. I don't know about you, but I think for a lot of us, silence terrifies you and I. I think for many of us, part of the reason why we distract ourselves so much is we don't want to hear our inner voice. We don't want to hear ourselves talking to ourselves. And I get that. When I wake up in the morning, I don't know if you have the same thing, but I hear myself talking to myself. 
Am I going crazy? Do other people have that? Do you just have thoughts running through your head? Okay, I'm not crazy. And the, the crazy thing for me is when I wake up in the morning, nine out of 10 times, it's not good news. <laughs> Silence can be terrifying because we, we hear ourselves and we see ourselves for who we really are. There's a scene in one of the great movies of all time called The Never-Ending Story. And in Michael Ende's book, The Never-Ending Story, uh, the young hero, uh, the boy warrior Atreyu, meets the challenge of the mirror gate. And Engiwook, a little elf, says to Falcor the luck dragon, stay with me. <laughs> Engiwook says, oh, next is the magic mirror gate. Atreyu has to face his true self. Falcor says, so what? That won't be too hard for him. And Engiwook says, oh, that's what everyone thinks. But kind people find out that they are cruel. Brave men discover that they are really cowards. And confronted by their true selves, most men run away screaming. We have a magic mirror gate. And it's called silence. And Christian author and pastor Pete Scazzaro says, In silence and stillness before God, our scaffolding is removed. We are naked. And silence in God's presence is a place where he strips the pretend self off us. You know, from last year, there's the me I want to be and the me that I want people to see. And silence dissolves the me that I want people to see kind of the way that acid does with impurities on a metal. And there we have the power and the productivity of silence before God. The magic mirror gate. <laughs> and so for most of us who want to encounter God this morning, most of us, Spend our lifetime wanting to get through to God. Haven't we prayed these prayers? Lord, if you're there, I've prayed these prayers. Lord Jesus, if you're real, just appear at the end of my bed and I know that everything will be all right. Lord, if you're real, will you appear at Northside and shake the foundations of the place and we'll have revival and we spend all of this time trying to get through to God. Lord, if you're there, Lord, can you show me? Lord, will you be here? We spend most of our time trying to get through to God when most of his time is spent trying to get through you. And so I see this as a pastor. I see this all the time. People, everyone who, whether you're a Christian or not, you have a sense, especially if you are new to the faith this morning and you are listening into this, you have that yearning, as Psalm 42 says, as the deer pants for water, my soul thirsts for you. There is a sense within us in which we seek and desire more of God in our lives. That's the given, and yet we get distracted. And there are people time after time who say that they want this, and then they find that they don't have the luxury to deal with these sorts of disciplines. They don't have the time to engage and play with these types of spiritual tributaries. Uh, they're not up for doing these sorts of experimenting with God and then there's a health scare and then there's a tragedy and something goes wrong in life and then surprise, surprise, there's plenty of time to go seeking God, right? <laughs> hey, uh, I see plenty of people whose lives go down the track and they would kill for the moment that you have in front of you this week. They have moments where they say, if only I could go back to myself 10 or 20 years ago and hear this message now and do this now and begin to develop these tributaries of fresh streams of life into their life. And so this morning, my encouragement to you this week is just 
Play around with contemplative prayer. Just work out some silence and stillness before God. Start now before it's too late. Don't wait until you're tired and burnt out and an angel's got to feed you a little bit of angel cake. Right? Don't wait until people have got to kind of dive in and, and, and help you out because can you imagine what your life would look and feel like not for you, but for the people around you. If you made a decision now at this time in a year and over the next five weeks to begin to experiment with these sorts of things, friends will feel better and be blessed. Sons and daughters will feel better and be blessed. Husbands and wives will feel better and blessed. People in your life will feel better and blessed because you are this Amazonian river of joy and of life and of peace and of calmness and stability and the very lifeblood of God that just emerges with just the, the siltiness of all of the things of God into the great ocean that is the life that you step out into this week. The way that we do that is through stillness and silence. I'm going to make you do your homework now. You up for that? We're just going to be quiet. Is that okay, worship team? We're just going to be quiet. I'm not going to ask you to pray anything or say anything. Just sit and see what comes to you. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.